Hello! <laughs> I want to do um, it. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Mystery Dungeons and Dark Rise. Hello! <laughs> Hi, welcome to Hi. Mystery Dungeons and Dark Welcome to Mystery Dungeons of Dark Rise, a Pokemon role-playing adventure and the tale of two young trainers as they journey together through the Yume region and possibly through time itself. Ooh. I'm Coach D and I am your Pokemon Dungeon Master. I'm Jack. I play Felix, a shy but stubborn boy who... I don't know. I haven't got anything. <laughs> Good one. I'm Chris. I play Chuck. He's the son of a nurse joy who moved from Pewter City to the Yume region. Uh, and he's been pretty creeped out by uh, Boomy, aka Kame. We both had the exact same thought as soon as that voice came out in the description. Yeah, like that's, bushy that's white Boomy hair, from... big long beard. <laughs> yeah, I definitely wrote Boomy voice next to the first line just so I could remember. <laughs> so if if right. anyone wasn't familiar, we are all big fans of Avatar. Yeah, we go are. watch it and then you'll get probably half of the references in this show. <laughs> Including <laughs> um, most of our nicknames. Right, seeing as we're doing this whole question thing, hit me up. What's the what's your next question? Yeah, I've, I've got one. Maybe not necessarily directly about you know the the events of the the story so far, but what have you found easiest and what have you found hardest about creating the encounters rather than just you know obviously the, the Pokemon battles. Okay. Obviously you've been oh, mixing things up a bit with certain mechanics and that. What's been easy to come up with and what's been quite tricky to plan out i think so the tr the trickiest thing is obviously because i'm this is the first time we were all playing like a DD &D style game so although i've listened to podcasts and stuff and i enjoy it like i do other stuff related to it love the fantasy element i've never played it and done it so i think the hardest thing was trying to come up with certain mechanics for certain encounters that would just make it different and better to listen to when you think about DMing a podcast, it's a lot different, I imagine, to DMing a game. So we we, we don't use maps. We yeah. cru I, I crudely draw stuff out if I need to. So it's not like we can be like, you are on this square and they are on this square. So mm. coming up with like distances and stuff, we, we play around with it a lot. But on top of that, trying to make things more exciting without being able to see stuff. So Kraken, for example, coming up with the mechanics for how it's going to work with its different tentacles even gym fights i think gyms are the hardest because they started off and it was just plain battleground and it was chris who said like i know we've got to do gyms but can we make them a bit more something to do so yeah trying mm. to think up new things and then i know it took me a while but like even like once we got to katara even mixing it up a bit like you've got water and ice you need to be able to yeah, you fun. can't attack it unless you're in this and then like yeah dwayne with the lava so they can like you can either get burned or it'll advance your pokemon make them better um the hardest thing is one of the hardest things is coming up with stuff and then it not happening <laughs> so <laughs> just writing something yeah the adam gym how's this gonna work how's the poison thing gonna move and then it literally did nothing during the entire fight and you're just like oh, uh, oh well, had lucario but, in it who's immune to poison or yeah, yeah or like in that in the last battle with the like the i came up with the whole mechanic about the flames coming up and then it just didn't happen at all but that's <laughs> that, but then it makes us no but it does change how we approach the situation and even though yeah. that didn't actually set fire to the heart you know it changed how my approach was to the whole thing 
Yeah, and I think one of the hardest things about writing encounters and things like that is not getting down about how something you've worked hard on hasn't worked in a way because it's about how it molds everything else. Um, yeah. So like you said, like yes, it didn't work, but instead of you just going flat fight, it was, well, I'm going to go and deal with this situation and I'm going to go deal with this situation and yeah. try and play it off each other. The other thing that's difficult is balancing levels people who've listened to the pod know that most trainers you come up against have one pokemon now if we were playing DD just sat around a table they'd probably have two or three because it wouldn't matter how long the battles last yeah but our battles take time anyway so i can't have them having like five or six pokemon because we'd be here for hours and <laughs> yeah like yeah. playing for that long can get tough and then also doing it and making it interesting for everybody else is tough as well so it's although i use less pokemon it's then balancing levels so one you're not going to get absolutely want and two it's not going to be easy despite the fact that i know you've got five or six pokemon each in your team so it's almost like two on 12 so you've got to balance yeah. the levels out and then and the attacks so like sometimes Chris has said like you've made this Pokemon because you know it's gonna fuck me up and I'm like yeah 100% I've made that Pokemon so it's gonna fuck you up because otherwise it's 12 on 1 and it's not interesting at all and yeah. I think that's the thing you've got to balance and uh, also why I'm just like please don't get a Charizard so early <laughs> like, there was a point where you were just like I'm gonna rare candy Charizard Boomer so she's like level 14 straight off the bat and then everything else on your team was like level 10 I was just like Oh, because I'm going to have to make strong Pokemon. And then if Boomer goes down, which it will, <laughs> the rest of your team's just going to get one. So it's, yeah, the balance. So, yeah, cool. Right. I was going to say, I think we'd listen to your voice for a bit longer because I think it's your recap as well. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, so, got my feet up. after the last episode, you followed Mew into the swamp, or the pink glow into the swamp, and you came across an area with a wooden hut on stilts, and you could hear two people talking about the wooden hut, and they were trying to burn it down. Uh, they were obviously looking for you in the forest, and they discovered there were some Pokemon in there, and they were just like, fuck it, we're going to burn it down anyway, because if you two are hiding in there, we'll get you out. Turns out they were the two Team Nightmare grunts that were at Ace's lab, the Mines of Kusane and the Battle of Kuso City. They'll just um, never learn, will they? They just never learn. Well, we might never see them again now. Um, um, yeah, they <laughs> met, their, met their ends. So you battled them, <laughs> Blimp the way uh, Welmer uh, did some uh, damage with Splash, which is a ridiculous move flying into the air and coming down crashing into one of the grunts knocking him prone and then yeah you managed to beat both of them and not burn the hut down and then out of nowhere some vines appeared and took both the grunts into the darkness of the swamp and a tangrowth appeared with an old blind man on top of it who knew you by name even though you'd never met before and he basically told you to follow him although you were very um, cautious about doing so. You followed him and ended up at his hut. Uh, we discovered that his name is Cammy, and he was from the Misty Islands and he also gets visions, which is like a couple of other people you've met on mm -hmm. your tail. Um, and he was very cryptic about what he was there for, but you eventually got it worked out that he was there to sort of show you where you'd been not necessarily in this life 
but in another life mm. in order to show you where you have to go and he wasn't talking about you on your journey to port nori he was more concerned with the end of your last vision that you had where you heard the words find me inside a big cave and then the fire in his hut sort of blazed and everything went white and the last thing you know was you were sitting bolt upright and that is where we're going to start this mm. episode mm. anybody who really likes D, i'm just going to apologize Switch in advance <laughs> you're going to have to listen to this with uh gritted teeth and if you do like D&D that much and you're still listening, you must understand that we just make shit up. So <laughs> enjoy the next however many hours this one will last. <laughs> but this is one of the best things I've ever written in my entire life. So let's crack on. We are going to start this episode with a perception roll from both of you. Nine. Fifteen. So, again, Chuck will relay and point stuff out to Felix, who just misses a couple of details. You find yourselves in a large cloth tent, decorated in a very old-fashioned way with wooden furniture and various coloured cloths. At the far end of the room is a large tapestry hanging between two wooden poles, and a set of plated armour stands either end of the tapestry. In the middle of the room is a large wooden table covered in papers. And with your strong perception rolls, I will let you inspect the entire room. Just for my personal knowledge here, when we're in this this room, are we as Felix and Chuck? Are we do we have all of our memories from like, you know, what's gone on so far? I should have asked this probably a while ago when we first kind of went through this, but good good question. So, yes, you wake up and you are as far as you are aware Felix and Chuck. Okay. And your Pokemon are with you. Okay. Okay, this is new. We're actually in control here now. Yes. This would be a very long couple of hours of me talking, <laughs> which it's still going to be, but... Okay, yeah, well, I'll, I'll investigate the room, look at the papers. This is a Come role-playing on. podcast, Chris, not an audiobook. <laughs> <laughs> I'd buy the audiobook. So, yes, you're in a room. I meant, I forgot to mention, you're sat, you sit bolt upright, you're on a bed. A comfy, right, okay. straw, old-fashioned wooden bed, each. Okay. Not together. It's like your brother's sharing a room. Okay, so you're in the room. So I said I was investigating, like, the papers. I want to okay. see what's around. So, Chuck, you stand up and you head straight over to the table. And on the table is a large, detailed, hand-inked map of the Yume region. The map is slightly different to the maps you've seen before, with more towns and settlements marked in it, and some images of Pokémon drawn on it as well. There are some small wooden figures that stand on top of the map in various areas. Some stand alone, and some are in small groups, in different formations. There are big crosses over the northern snowy mountains, the prophetic desert, and the misty islands. And in the northeast of the map, there are a number of figures huddled together over what looks like a mountain range. Calls over to Felix and says, Hey, come take a look at this. I don't know what that old man did and what he put in that soup, but. <laughs> anyway, this looks like some kind of sort of battle map. Yeah. You know, they've like crossed out territories and all, and all sorts. So Felix, yeah, Felix will come and, and inspect as well. So looking at the, the map and where the crosses are, Felix kind of goes, oh no, wait, look at this. Prophetic Desert, Misty Islands, Snow Point. 
these are where we fought the Reggies. Just so, like eyes go wide at this point. And says, yeah, you you're bang on. But okay, so then why the why the mountains to the east? Is that uh, Mount Coronet or is that a different mountain range? It's a different mountain range. Are there any other notifications on the map? Are there any like lines drawn between points or is it just... I guess there's... What you can see is like little... I guess they've marked pathways and stuff on the map. But other than that, it's nothing that's not map based. So you've got the armour and the tapestry as well. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'll look look at the tapestry. Yeah, investigate the tapestry. The tapestry is an intricately woven image of two men and two creatures standing on a large rock with other humans and other creatures stood on a grassy plain below them. In the sky, a large white creature with a golden wheel around its abdomen looks like it's descending from the clouds. And then the armour? The sets of armour that from a distance looked pristine. On closer inspection, you can see that the wear and tear of like battles with scratches and nicks across the metal plating of like cover it. And uh, both sets have a symbol in the middle of the breastplate. The one Felix looks at has a crescent shape engraved in it. And the one that Chuck looks at has a white circle engraved into it. As you are discussing this together, Felix, you spot something that makes your jaw drop. As a large mirror stands next to the tapestry and you see your own reflection. Okay. So staring back at you in your reflection is a taller and more muscular version of yourself. You still have the same stern look on your face that you carry now, but your eyes seem much beyond their years as though you've seen a lot more than someone should have at your reflection's age, whatever that is. A large scar sits above and below your right eye in a vertical line, and your purple hair is much longer and tied up in a knot. Felix sort of takes a few seconds to to drink that in and kind of moves his hand up to his face to sort of mimic to see if it is, you know, he copies what he does to, you know, really gather that he is this is him runs a hand through his hair and traces the scar on his face and he beckons Chuck over and he goes Chuck come see this what have you found so as soon as you see the mirror your mouth drops as well Chuck and you see a pink goatee on your face (laughs) sick your hair is the same colour as normal but it's longer and more spiky and you're a little taller than you're used to you're also bulkier with toned arms hanging by your side. Is what I see of Chuck in the mirror different to what I see Chuck as now? So if I was to look at Chuck directly, does he Ooh, look like the Chuck from our normal timeline or does he look like the Chuck that's in the mirror? So when you look at each other, you see each other as you were as 10-year-old kids. Right. Chuck looks in the mirror, he's like, dang! And he like runs his hand, hand over his face to feel for the goatee, but I guess, can he feel it or...? <laughs> You can feel it on he yourself. You can feel it, yeah. And then he's like showing, looking at his <laughs> triceps in, in the mirror. It's like, oh, yeah, I could get used to these. While you're checking yourself out, there is a cough from behind you. So, <clears throat> and you turn around and you both take a step backwards, nearly tripping over the mirror. And you stare at two much older versions of yourselves. I guess you're going to say they're in their late 30s. And they're standing in the entrance of your tent. Floating next to them, a very familiar black Pokemon with a white mane floating behind it. 
and you recognise Darkrai, and a purple and pink Pokemon on the other side, with a golden underbelly and face, and two crescent-shaped horns sitting either side of its face. You recognise from your visions and the book into Keshi's castle as Cresselia. The older Chuck starts laughing. You two done staring at yourselves in the mirror? Who'd have thought our sons would be so vain? And he nudges the older Felix in the side with his elbow. Older Felix, who's grinning, just stares at you and shakes his head. <sighs> when you're done admiring yourselves, ready up. The council are here and meeting soon. Come to the tree when you're ready. And he shakes his head and lets out a little laugh. And they both turn to leave the tent. Older Chuck just laughing out loud and leaning on older Felix's shoulder. The dark cry turns to follow them, but Cresselia sort of stays put, tilting its head to one side and, and just staring at you with a curious look on its face. And then you hear the voice of older Chuck shout out, Chris, you coming? And Cresselia just shakes its head as though snapping out of a trance before turning and leaving the tent. Chuck's just jaw is still by his knees and he rubs his newfound goatee and just <laughs> goes, turns to Felix and sort of does this like hands pointing, gesturing towards his like, that was, that was us. This is us. Hang on. What the hell is going on here? Felix at, the, at this point is in the classic Chuck pose with his arm behind his head, sort of yeah. scratching, just going, I mean, I think so. I don't know what was in that soup, but good soup. Maybe we should just follow them you said yeah. something about a meeting of the council maybe they'll piece some answers together yeah so yeah let's cool. go let's go so you get yourselves ready in the tent you just you find some clean tunics trousers and boots in a chest at the end of both your beds and then you exit the tent and you instantly recognize your surroundings although it's changed a lot since the last time you saw it in the shadow of the great tree and surrounded by a luscious green forest. The last time you were here, you'd just have been teleported by Mew. But now the area is much larger, filled with wooden huts, stalls and tents. And the area is busy with humans and monsters working together. You look out down a long street that leads to the base of the great tree. And a few things catch your eye. A little further down is a large pink tent. A flag with a pink cross flaps in the wind and a queue of monsters and humans wait in a line outside. Beyond that, you see a large gated area with people sitting at tables chatting. A blue flag with a horse on it flaps in the wind above a seated area. I'm guessing that's the Pokecenter runs a tavern, essentially. That's the Prancing Ponytail. Or a primitive version, at least, of the of both. We're just walking through town, so we've got the tree in the distance, yeah? As yeah, though tree, we've just trees, entered Greenby yeah, Town. That's yeah. where we need to be going, but... You, your tent's effectively at the end of, like, a long row, and it just... That row yeah. leads. And much like Greenwood Town that you've been to, there are loads of long rows, and they all lead towards the great tree, sort of yeah. like in a... Yeah. Like an outward fan. Kind of yeah, like Seven Dials in Covent Garden. Yeah. So Chuck's just taking this all in. As much as he'd love to go to the, the Prancing Ponytail and uh, not set it on fire. <laughs> I think he'd be very interested in the, the rudimentary Pokemon Centre to see if it is like a, a joy or if this is the start of the line of joys. Which Pokemon have you got out with you? Gabite. In this, in this scenario, I would want Pratchett out. How can we swap Pokemon? So as Felix thinks that, Cupitar disappears and Pratchett appears next to you. No Pokeballs. Cool. Felix is a little bit 
taken aback that reptiles just disappeared. Yeah, you look around as this happens and no one has noticed a thing. Right, okay. So yeah, I guess it's still, even though we're in control, it's kind of like, because we're still like living a memory or a vision or whatever, I guess we can kind of manipulate that sort of stuff. Okay, that's fine. So yeah, Felix is a bit confused as to what's happened, but he does, as always, feel quite comforted by the fact that, that Grottle's with him, that Pratchett's with him. Pratchett is similar to, to how Felix was. He's little more is a gape to start with. He's like, what is this? But realise that he's, you know, we're together and kind of feels at home, I guess. No guessing. He does feel at home. Chuck sees the swap. He he is the only other one who notices. Yeah, and Chuck looks for his belt to see, does he have Pokeballs? He does not have Pokeballs. He's like rummaging around. we like, I'm sure I had them on me. I didn't lose them in the swamp, did I? Then he just thinks, wait, well, what if I did? What if I lost Boomer? And then Boomer suddenly just like appears out of nowhere. Yeah. And she like looks at the great tree. She's like, oh, cool, Greenwood Town. Wait, what? <laughs> so Chuck, after- like reassuredly pats her, like strokes her, strokes her long neck. Just stick with me, girl. I don't know what we're into here. So you make your way down the path and you said you wanted to go to the monster center. Well, yeah, first. it could do with, if it is a Pokemon center healing area, I would need to get healed up. So you make your way down the long street and you stop to observe the pink tent with a long queue of humans and monsters of all shapes and sizes stood outside in a line. A young girl with pink hair is walking up the queue, assessing each of the people and the monsters with them. And as you come closer, you notice that both human and monster bow their heads when they see you. The young girl sees this and she turns around and as soon as she spots Chuck, she waves you over with a massive grin on her face. And then she jumps on you, wrapping both arms around your waist. Brother, what are you doing here? Didn't father want to see you before the meeting? Yeah, but you know me. I'm my own man. I'll do what I want. I'll stroll about if I want. And then he like spots a couple of people like in, in the crowd and gives them a wink. Uh, <laughs> She jumps up and conks you on the head and she's just like, don't act like that. You know what father's like when he gets angry. If he wants to see you, it must be important. Anyway, what are you doing here? Um, well, you know, hero stuff and uh, had a couple of scrapes. Might need to just uh, take a bit of a rest. She looks Boomer up and down and she says, well, she looks okay. You sure you need a rest? Um, I guess not. I can give you these. And she produces six vials of gold liquid and hands them over to you from her bag. And you notice that you've got little slots on your belt. Right. And you can just pop the vials in your belt. You know, like the old Western belts had bullet things. Yeah. yeah. but But it's like perfectly fitted for these vials. Great. Thanks. What are they? (laughs) She just laughs and she's like, good one. I wouldn't say that in front of mum. She's been working on these potions for ages. Well, tell her I said thanks. Just remember, you only need a little bit. Okay, I will try. (laughs) And then she looks up and down the queue and she says, Right, I'd better get on. I've got a lot of work to do. You better get a move on too. You don't want to be late. Yeah, right, late. Uh Uh-huh, cool. And she moves off and goes to treat some of the humans and monsters with another vial of the golden liquid. Chuck rolls over in his hands and says, so just a little bit, right? Okay. So if I were to use that, is it just a potion? Tell you what, uh, medicine check. 19. 
you just get a sense from the colour of the liquid and working with the joys all your childhood. Like, you take a little sniff and you can see that it is some form of potion, but it's not like any Pokemon potion that you've ever seen before. It smells a lot stronger as though it's meant for more than just Pokemon. Okay. Interesting. Nice. Felix, after listening to this conversation, he doesn't say anything to the, to the joy or to Chuck. He just goes, come on, let's head towards the tree. Maybe pop our head into the blue tent. Got an idea of what it might be. So you walk further down the path and you can't help smiling as you look at the seating area of what seems to be an old tavern with a flag of a horse flapping in the wind. People and monsters are seated at small wooden tables and everyone seems to be happy and drinking. A long wooden bar sits under a blue tent at the back of the area and there just so happens to be two free seats. (laughs) Do we recognise the monsters? Like, can we... Good question. Do we tell them... Do they look like Pokemon? Or do they look like Isui and Growlithe? I'm glad you asked. So... Eagle-eared listeners will know that throughout all of these visions, I have called them monsters, and I am calling them monsters at the moment, monsters or creatures. I would say yes, they are what you would recognise as Pokemon, Mm -hmm. however they are not pocket monsters. You do not have Pokeballs, they are just monsters. They're just mon. (laughs) Seeing the two free seats at this bar... Felix chuckles and goes, it'd be rude not to, right? I mean, ancient Moo Moo Milk is probably unpasteurised. I don't know, man. Felix's eyes widen. Straight from the teeth. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, as you move past the tables on your way to the bar, everybody stands up and faces you, and they bow their heads, and you hear murmurings of the phrase, Sons of Lunar as you pass each of them. And you take your seat at the bar as a oddly and yet strangely not familiar looking man pops up from behind the bar (laughs) cleaning a wooden tankard. (laughs) Ah, sons of Lunar, have you two recovered after last night? Oh, we will do after a nice, uh, one of your finest moomoo milks. Moomoo milk? Did I say moomoo milk? I mean, what have you got on tap? Ah! <laughs> good to hear. Sorry, must have been here. Hit over the head harder than I thought. Well, we've got the usual honey mead. That is, if I have any left. I'll tell you what, lads. For a little summon summon. <laughs> <laughs> for a little, for, tell you what, lads. For a little extra, I might be able to give you a little summon summon. And he gives you a wink. We have cash with us. Well, on your belt, as you look down, you see and notice a small pouch (laughs) seems to clink as you move. And uh, inside it, you find some gold coins. Felix looks at Chuck and goes, I think, if memory serves, it's your round. Ooh, I don't know about that. Chuck looks at the barman and says, look, how's about two honeymeads for me and uh, my fellow son of Lunar? And uh, and for the little something something, well, we just won't uh, we just won't tell my parents that you tried to uh, slip a little something out of my pouch. <laughs> that uh, sounds wrong. Yeah, it does. Bit. He looks. At, he looks at you dead in the eyes and just says, "You son of Lunar, 
know very well that without me and my tavern, this place would be a lot more boring. So cough up if you want the summon summon, or just take your drinks. Chuck, he gives like the heartiest sort of laugh that he can try and muster. He's trying to grow into this like newfound stature and, and physique that he's obviously like a well-known personality about the place. And says, ah, you know me, always joking. Here you go. And he just like tosses a coin up with his thumb. The barman catches it and he goes, I assume so. I must say though, you're not as funny as you think you are. <laughs> and he leans in close and invites you both to do the same. Which we duly do. There's been a lot of people gathering in and around the green tree recently. More people than usual. And from all over the region too. From what I hear, the war isn't going our way. Although you probably know that already. But it seems like there's something big going on if you ask me. And as he pulls his head back, he pulls out two wooden tankards filled with a golden-like liquid with a little bit of foam on the top. Oh, God, don't. I can murder a pint. Beautiful. Chuck says, yeah, well, we, we know. We are we are sort of involved in that. We are pretty big deals. What else you got? <laughs> he uh, sets back and goes, actually, we've uh, not written anything else. Um, <laughs> you're not lucky enough to get three from me. You might have to progress in the story a little bit. And you'll uh, find out some stuff. <laughs> okay. So Chuck takes his uh, his tankard, raises it to Felix, but then in a lower tone, so that only Felix can hear, says, War's not going our way, but what war here? Humans and Pokemon are working together, so what's the war? Felix kind of, like a bit of ventriloquism, is kind of smiling at the bartender, but is talking to Chuck, and it's kind of just like, I have no idea. Let's drink these and head towards the tree. It sounds like all the action's going on down there. Bottoms up. Cheers yeah. is slosh. Chuck. Slancher and just uh, knocks it straight back. <laughs> okay, so you finish your drinks and you bid farewell to the bartender who disappears behind the bar. You continue to make your way down a long path and more people stop as you pass them, bowing their heads and muttering the same phrase, Sons of Luna. You pass more tents, stalls and pens and one man sits on a stool next to a large pink monster on all fours and as you pass you see him pull out a pail of white creamy liquid. <laughs> Another man leans on the side of the path fixing a wooden wheel that rests against a wooden cart. <laughs> as you pass him the wheel slips and knocks the cart causing a small flap to open and reveals a hidden compartment on the side and he hastily like covers it up and then he looks around and seeing you he just bows his head and says sons of luna but eventually you reach the great tree and standing at its base it's amazing to see the sheer size of the thing you remember the last time you were standing in this spot and you realize how long ago that seemed to be which is ironic because technically it might not have happened yet at the base of the tree the roots open to create a large space under the main trunk and you head inside, which is surprisingly well lit, with gaps in the roots letting the natural light through. You come to a large open space, and a large circular table sits in the middle, surrounded by eight large wooden throne-like chairs. The top of the table is smooth, but the underside and the legs, as well as all eight of the thrones, have intricate patterns carved into them. Both of your older selves, as well as their monster companions, are leaning over the table, with a bald-headed man in a blue robe 
pointing at a roll of paper. I want you to both to roll investigation or perception. I'm not bothered which. 21. Uno. Chuck doesn't see anything. Felix, you see an image of a triangular shape. And at the top is an arrow pointing to a sketch of a large rectangle with smaller pictures drawn on it. And it seems oddly familiar, as though it's something you've seen before. But as you approach, the three of them notice you and stand up straight. The bald-headed man rolls up the bit of paper and bows his head to you. And he walks around the table, stopping behind one of the throne-like chairs with a tree carved into its head. Your older selves both look at you, an odd expression on their faces. Chuck's older self opens his mouth to speak, but stops himself as... I am always amazed by this place. And you turn around to see a group of men, women and monsters entering the room. The man who spoke walks in front, wearing a grass skirt, his muscular tanned body covered in tattoos, and next to him you recognise the red and yellow monster walking beside him as a magmar. The man opens his arms wide as he approaches you. Sons of Luna! and he puts a hand on both your shoulders. It is always a welcome sight to see you both. And he releases you and then moves around the table to greet your older selves. A tall, graceful woman with brown hair and bright blue eyes wearing a fur coat bows her head as she passes you. A large white and green monster follows her, towering over everyone and you recognise it as an snow. Behind the snow, a man with his dark hair tied up in a knot, wearing black trousers and top, and a long haori draped over his shoulders with two katana-like swords sheathed at his waist. And behind him, you recognise the steely hide of an agron, as they both bow their heads and pass you to find their place at the table. A man with leather chest armour sat over a tanned, loose-fitting, long-sleeved tunic and cloth trousers with a long piece of fabric that starts at the top of his head, wrapped around tightly, which then comes down covering his face before draping over the man's shoulders, so only his eyes are visible, steps forwards. He pulls down the part of the cloth covering his face to reveal a big grey beard and tanned, leather-like skin and he smiles at you both as he bows his head before moving on. Next to the man is the camel-like Pokemon you recognise from the Acacia Town gym, Camerupt. The final members of the group step forward, and you see a beautiful woman with the skull of a monster covering her electric blue hair. The rest of her clothes are made up with leather armour covered in bones that wrap around her torso and spread out across her shoulder blades to form two wings. Her lower body is covered with a short skirt made from tough looking scales and knee high boots also covered in scales. Behind her stomps a large blue monster on all fours with two large red wings protruding from its back and a long neck raising its head to your eye level with three fins coming out of each of its cheeks. Everyone moves themselves around the table, looking for their correct places rather than taking a random seat. Their partner monsters are standing just behind them. 
and your older selves look at you both quizzically. Felix jerks his head in your direction as though suggesting for you to join them. Which we do. Felix nudges Chuck and goes, come on, we want it up here. So are there chairs that have got the um, moon symbols on them? Yeah, but your older selves are sat in them. We'll stand behind our older selves then. Yeah. Fine. The chief slams his fist on the table as you take your place. Let's begin. The meeting is long, with each member of the council taking turns to say how their part in the war is going. This is followed by a general discussion about supply lines and trading between the members with a large cloth map of the region being rolled out on the table, much like the one you saw in your tent. Things that are discussed that do pique your interest are that the war seems to have been going on for about 20 years. And as hard as the people and monsters of the Yume region have fought, they are losing. The same crosses you saw on your map are placed on this one, and you learn that the northern snowy mountains were the first to be attacked. Their people, not expecting anything coming, were unprepared, and it wasn't long before they were almost decimated, as well as a large number of the monsters in the area. Over the years, many battles have been fought. The people native to the prophetic desert were the next to fall with the desert now overrun with the forces of Arceus searching for the last of the survivors. Over time, the clans from the region started to group together and fight back, with many battles taking place. But unfortunately, there have only been a few small victories. The Steel Warriors fell in the Kuko Forest, and despite a long and dragged out conflict that took place over many years in the Misty Islands, the forces of Arceus prevailed and chased the natives, or at least those who survived, out of the area. No one knows how they haven't found the settlement by the Great Tree, but they're sure it won't be long until everyone is discovered. Things start to trail off, and then the woman with electric blue hair and the armour made from bones, who has been sitting listening to the whole meeting without saying a word, merely resting her chin on her clasped together hands, speaks up. This is all well and good, but I have my own issues. Unfortunately, my scouts have told me of a massive force gathering only days away from my home. And although we've taken great precautions over the years to defend the Sky City, I'm not sure we can do anything about the size of the army that is gathering. I've come here to ask you for your aid, and there are grumblings around the table, with many of the members shooting glances at one another. The man with the beard and leathery skin stands up and slams his fist on the map. Aid? You sky people come to this council and sit in silence. Then you get on your winged beasts, and do we hear from you? No and the majority of the table nod their head in agreement. Aside from your older selves, the man with the katanas, and the bald-headed man. You want our aid? Where were the sky people when the icy mountains fell? Where were the sky people when our enemies surrounded my village? Where were the sky? And he looks towards you and your older selves. The woman with blue hair stands up to argue back as the woman dressed in fur and the Misty Islands chief also stand, shaking their fists and shouting at one another. The monsters beside them start to get aggravated and shift their feet as though ready for a fight. 
and Felix has his own voice speak from in front of him. Enough! And everybody stood up, stops, and turns their head in the direction of your older selves. Throughout this war, we've lost more than we thought imaginable. We've been chased from our homes, fled to the other end of the region, and we've fought to survive. Baki, you've experienced a great loss, as have we all. But who are we to force that same loss onto others? And this time Chuck hears himself speak. Baki, when you came to us, our people have been enemies for many, many moons. But did we turn you down when you asked for aid? Kata! And he turns to look at the woman in fur clothes. Did we not come to your aid as the enemy forces chased you through the snowy mountains? And Chief Koa, did we not fight by your side for years during the attack on your homelands? And everyone around the table seems to calm and nod in agreement, slowly sitting back down. The man with the katanas, who has stayed pretty quiet up to this point, speaks up. If we are ever going to put an end to this war, we must put all of our differences aside. For Arceus' sake, we've been fighting for the past for the best part of 20 years against an enemy who has not given up. I'm getting tired of hiding in fear that one day their forces will find us. I say we put an end to that fear. Show the enemy that they can raise a larger force than any before, but it will not break us. We have fought many battles, but never have all of our people come together as one. And everyone nods in agreement around the table and looks at your older selves, waiting for the answer. Older Felix speaks up first. Our forces will fight with you, Sephira. We shall gather all those able to fight and we will defend the Sky City. And there is a cheer from the table. But we shan't be going with you. And everyone goes silent looking at each other with confusion on their faces. Kata from the Northern Mountains speaks up. What do you mean? And then Baki. But you're the banner we fight for. It is under you the people of this land are united. If we are to truly win this war, there is something we have to do. Do you not think if it wasn't absolutely necessary then we wouldn't come with you? And older Felix stands up. We have sat on this council since the very beginning of this war. We have never led you astray. We have never steered you wrong. We have never given you a reason not to trust us. This is something that has to happen. And while the enemy forces are focused on the Sky City, it has to happen now. But who will lead us? Who will keep the clans united? And from either side of their chairs, you see your older selves point to you. Older Chuck speaks first. If the people of this land are ever going to move forwards, no matter the outcome of the battle to come, then it is in the next generation in which we must hold our faith. Through them, the people will unite. Again, the grumbling starts up around the table. Then the man with the katana stands up once more. I have fought many battles alongside the Sons of Lunar. They have both saved me and my men countless times. If this is the way it must be, then you have my steel. And Baki stands up. I, and you have my earth. Then Kata, you have my ice. And finally Koa, and my fire. And my axe. <laughs> the council stand and turn to leave the table, talking amongst themselves of preparations. But your older selves turn to talk to you. Older Felix looks at you dead in the eyes. We leave this battle 
in your hands. Chuck places a hand on your on Chuck's shoulder. You're ready for this, son. And now you can ask some question. Chuck turns to Felix and says, "Guy stole my line. I was going to say, and my fire." <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you have to do? With a grin on his face, older Chuck looks back at you and he says, "You must trust us like the rest of the council. We can't tell you where we're going or why. Just know that it will help bring an end to this war, for once and for all." But why not? Why can't you tell us? We we need to know. We really need to know. <laughs> More than you think. Despite your protests, older Felix puts a hand on each of your shoulders. Hold the Sky City for as long as possible. With any luck, our job will be done, and this war will be over. And then he turns to Felix. Here, I want you to take this. And he holds out a knife made of bone. <laughs> This was given to me by my father and his father before him. It comes from a tragic time where monster and man were not friends. But let it remind you, as it does me, of how the world can change if you only have a little hope. Remember how different the world is now and how much good has come from that change. I'd never have thought when I was younger that the man and monster would be working together for a common cause, but here we are. This is our legacy, and one day you will have to carry it forward. And before you can say anything, they both pull you into an embrace, and you feel something wet on both your shoulders before they pull away and turn back to the table. Older Chuck just looks at you with a sad look in his eyes. Go and prepare yourselves. The monks will be ready to transport you soon. Good luck. And as they walk away, the whole room goes white. As the white light fades, you find yourself staring out at a dazzling blue sky sitting above a white fluffy field. The air is cold and you can see your breath steam up as you exhale. To the north, you can just see the snowy peaks of only the tallest of the snowy mountains. And in the distance to the southeast, you can see the peaks of the mountains that surround Mount Coronet poking above the clouds. The top of Mount Coronet itself still towers above everything else in the region. You are standing at the top of a stone battlement clad in the steel-plated armour you saw in your tent. And beside you on either side, along the rest of the battlement, stand men, women and monsters, all ready for battle. You look nervous, Sons of Lunar, and you turn to see Hegane in a full samurai-like armour with his two katanas at his waist. Death may come for us all one day, but I don't think today is your day, depending on how this goes. <laughs> depending on how you roll. Yeah, depending on dice rolls. Chuck's scratching the back of his head and sort of catches himself and says, Nervous? Me? No, you know me better than that. Does Boomer have any armour on? She kid out. Do you want her to have armour on? Yeah. Then armour <laughs> ar appears on Boomer. 
Sick. <laughs> yeah, she's got like chest piece, press plate, and like her tail has got like metal scales going along it. Yeah. And then you just see the flame at the end. Felix? No, Pratchett doesn't have any. Seeing as, doesn't need it. Seeing as, yeah, he's, he's got a tough hide anyways, but for a lot of his attacks, he has to absorb nutrients and, and light from the surrounding areas, so kind of covering that up would limit his power. A horn sounds from behind you. And you turn to see a stone city. Like none other you've ever seen before. And it seems to rise in layers with the shape of the mountain it's built into. Sound of wings beating comes from above. And as a shadow covers you where you stand, the large blue creature with red wings lands beside you, Sephira on its back. Our scouts have spotted the enemy forces at the base of the mountain, but it seems like the initial numbers were incorrect. Their forces might not be as large as we suspected. Then, an explosion of stone comes from the upper levels of the city, and Sephira's face drops as the distant screams start to reach your ears. With a glancing look at both of you, she turns her monster and takes off, heading back to the upper city, shouting, Defend the wall. Pigane stands and draws his swords. So it begins. Ready yourselves! And then he turns to both of you as though inviting you to address the warriors. Chuck and Boomer exchange a look and it's one that says to each other, I will follow you into any battle. He strokes her neck and he can feel the fire just burning up inside of her. He steps forwards and as he does so, he's suddenly overcome with a confidence he's just never felt before. And as he looks upon the crowd of men, women, monsters of all shapes, sizes and types in front of him, some clad in armour, others not, he speaks out. Brothers, sisters, monsters of steel, of fire, of ice, of ground and sky. He gestures to Felix and says... Our fathers proved that human and monster can live harmoniously together. A day may come where that bond is broken, but today is not that day. Up until this point, Felix had just been watching on, a bit of a silent observer, taking in the scene before him and listening to Chuck rally the assembled congregation. Pratchett stands to his side, his head bowed in quiet contemplation. And Felix puts his hand on Pratchett's head. And he's overcome with a calmness and strength he never thought possible. Felix steps forward to join Chuck putting his other hand on his friend's shoulder to form a united front. For too long we have suffered at the hands of our oppressor. Countless among you have lost family and friends, both human and monster alike, in this never-ending battle. Today is the beginning of the end. Our actions here will define the path forwards, not just for ourselves here and now, but for generations of human and monster kind to come. Chuck unsheathes an ornate blade from its scabbard and sees that it's engraved with the phases of the lunar cycle, with the full moon at the tip and shining with a faint pink iridescent glow in the sunlight. Felix draws his blade in unison, which emanates with a faint dark mist at its razor sharp tip. Today we enter a new age, an age of human and monsters side by side in a true bond of fellowship. Today we fight. Today we will deliver the judgment ourselves unto the forces of Arceus and Boomer lets out a giant roar and jet of flames and the crowd roars back. And Chuck turns to Felix and says, I never thought I'd die side by side with a Sinoan. Felix laughs. He turns and says, well, how about side by side with a friend? Let's go. 
that's actually welled me up a little bit. <laughs> and as the people on either side of you pull out their weapons and cheer along, letting out a massive war cry, the monsters beside them ready themselves. But you start to hear screams and see someone is lifted up and pulled over the battlements. You run forwards and look out over the outer wall, see many Reggie still climbing up the walls, with some already reaching the top and climbing over the battlements. The stone beneath you cracks as Reggie Rock appears, and it grabs a massive piece of the debris and throws it at a group standing in a small distance away, crushing one of them where they stood and then a bright beam of light fires in your direction, missing you narrowly, but hitting one of the monsters standing next to you, sending it flying over the battlements and falling to whatever lies below. You look over and you see that two Registeel have made it to the top of the battlement. The Reggie Rock that appeared near you and one of the Registeels start to charge, and Hagenay draws his katana and runs towards the Reggie Steel, followed by his Agua. He slides under the Reggie Steel and slashes at its feet as the Agron slams into it with its steely head. The second Reggie Steel ignores them and heads in your direction. We're going to roll initiative. Fuck. <laughs> Fucking hell. So, before we get Can I just say, in... I don't want to do season two. <laughs> I don't want to follow this. <laughs> Before we get into it, this is slightly different to how we normally do things. So, you will command your Pokemon as normal. However, you will also get to make a separate action as yourselves. You are susceptible to being hit by a Pokemon attack. And if you die, we play it as they would and you die. Death throws, basically. The armor you are wearing gives you an AC of 15, plus whatever your dex is with a maximum of plus two. My AC is 17. You are both carrying swords, and these swords are long swords. They give you 1d8 slashing damage with a single hand, or if you use them with two hands, they give you 1d10 slashing damage. Is there any difference to hit with one or two hands? Is it like a slower attack no, with two? not in this. <laughs> D&D fans, someone's screaming, why don't you know? <laughs> um, due to your level, you both have the ability to disengage as a bonus action, which means you won't get hit by attacks of opportunity. And you can both use the warrior's technique. The area is at this point covered in rubble and you're standing on the top of the castle battlement that is roughly... 30 feet wide but as long as you can make out and it sort of curves around the bottom layer of the city the outer wall raises one meter off the ground due to the brick battlements and the inner side has about a 40 foot drop before you hit the floor of the lower city so it's the wall of passing say yeah imagine that pretty much but on a cliff in a mountain in the sky yeah yeah <laughs> so you are with Pratchett and Boomer 
You're against a Reggie Rock and a Reggie Steel. Mother trucker, dude. No big deal. So where have they come from? Now I can visualize like the battlement and the wall. Are they from the city side or have they come? Reggie the... Steel has come up from over the battlements and then has charged towards you along the wall. And the Reggie Rock came up through the ground of the battlements behind you and is attacking you from behind. So there is one either side of you and yeah. your Pokemon. Okay. So we're going to roll initiative. So you need to roll two sets of initiative. You've got your Pokemon and you. My Pokemon roll is 22 and my roll is 8. My Pokemon roll is 11 and my roll is a 10. So as the two Regis charge in towards you, everything starts breaking chaos. Screams are going on everywhere. People and monsters are fighting different Regis along the battlements. Reggies are killing people left, right and centre. Also, people are fighting back. They're not overwhelmed in a sense. It's not like a slaughter. It is a battle and everyone is fighting as hard as they can. And the two Reggies charge in and you have a split second to make some decisions before you start this battle. Chuck's gaze is instantly drawn towards the Reggie steel and remembers the work that Mako did in just trapping it with a sand tomb and instantly Mako pops out. He's also wearing like spiked helmet with like spiked plates going down his neck. He's got like metal attachments to the blades on his arms. He turns to Felix and says, see you on the other side, brother. Goes out for a fist bump. <laughs> Felix, yeah, essentially at this point, will reach out, dap up Chuck and kind of go back to back. Hold the ground, protect the city. We've got this. Chuck nods and then sword out to the side. Mako in tow, they just charge at the Reggie Steel. Maka, use Santum. I'll get around the other side of it. Let's take this thing down. It's physical save. 14. Ooh, doesn't pass. Ooh. It fails. Sick, come on. 23 ground damage, and he's going to be restrained. And it's doubled to 46. Big fucking hit, yes. So Mako's like eyed up the blades on his arms. He's just like, yeah, this is fucking sick. I love this. <laughs> Lifts one arm up like a sort of a cross haymaker going upwards. And as he does so, this wave of sand just basically covers over the Reggie Steel in like a, almost like a, a curtain, which then takes physical form and just starts pulling him down to the ground. Next up is Pratchett then. Felix puts a hand on Pratchett's back and goes, I know we've got this, buddy. Dig in, get ready. This is going to be the fight of our lifetime. And as sort of Pratchett digs his feet in, he does manage to kind of go through the, the top level a little bit and just put some cracks in the floor and really dig in. But he's up in the sky, he's closer to the sun. And seeing this Reggie Rock charging at him feels a sense of he, he needs to really pull some out of the bag here. You know, he's been in these fights before, but there's more within him ready to go. Felix looks at him and shouts out, I need you for the long haul here, buddy. Hit it with the leech seed. And he, as he hears this command and starts to ready the attack, he feels the seed come out of his bushes. As he fires it off into the abdomen of the Reggie Rock, kind of feels like an energy pulse as he does it. And before Felix's eyes, it starts to glow white, starts to grow bright. And you see the bushes start to change and morph and be replaced by the outline of what looks like a sort of small bonsai tree to start with, but it starts to grow bigger and bigger. And you see Pratchett pretty much doubles in size, his legs splay out even more, his feet grow even wider. You can kind of feel a little bit of a shake on the ground as it happens with a flash of blinding white at the end. And before Felix, finally, finally, 
55 episodes 55 later. 55 episodes later stands a behemoth of a Torterra. And Felix already feels 10 times happier in this battle. He knows Pratchett would have been able to hold his own, but just seeing the and sensing the power radiating off him, Felix is ready. Well, next up is Felix. <laughs> with Pratchett evolving and with Mako charging him for an attack, you both grab the swords at your waist. And as your fingers wrap around them, you feel a warmth flow through you, much like the warmth that you felt when you sat in the thrones of the heroes of old on a Honomukapuni in Dwayne's chamber. Suddenly you feel like as though you've never been in battle before as ten-year-olds. The instinct of your past selves and everything they've learnt through years of battle just flows like an energy through you. And you both draw your swords knowing that you both know exactly what to do with them. Sick. Fucking sick. I'm so pumped. (laughs) Let's go. So what... Felix is going to do here. It will be a one-handed attack, but I want to slide similar to how Hagane Hagane did it. Slide underneath and kind of get an attack. I was going to do that. <laughs> get an attack on the midriff, so I'm the then the other side of the Reggie Rock, so we can kind of double team it from two sides. Okay, go Dex roll just to see how if you can do it. Yeah, 16? Yep, that's fine, you can do that then. Then roll to hit. 24? That will hit. So can I use my warrior's technique? Effectively, every time you do a sword attack, you're going to use it. So it's like 1d10 plus 66. Ooh, do Reggie Rock and Reggie Steel resist slashing damage? Over the years of battling against monsters, the people of the Yume region learned that by using the ore of Mount Coronet, which affects Pokemon's properties, and imbuing it into the steel of their weapons, they can hurt Pokemon, so you're going to be alright when you're attacking the Regis. Sweet. Felix will use this. Felix will use this knowledge and, as you say, the kind of almost ethereal knowledge going through him from his previous ancestors as he slides towards the Reggie Rock, one-handed, slashes sort of down the middle of the Reggie Rock underneath his undercarriage and barrel rolls out the other side for 31 slashing damage he's going to do. Right, Chuck. Chuck hasn't seen what's going on behind him. He's just focused in on this Registeel, honed in on it. Mako has started to pull the Registeel down and start and, and restrain it. Chuck is going to use the, uh, like the sand curtain run up it and I want to try and plant the blade thrust it down into like its sort of eye region area okay it's only 17 to hit the blade simply glances off the eye region of the Reggie Steel who's still trapped under the sand but it doesn't take any damage from your attack so then I've I've basically run up and over the Reggie Steel yep. and I'm now behind it so Mako and I are, are kind of flanking it okay So both of you are flanking your attacks. So the Reggie Rock is still facing Pratchett and it's going to charge towards Pratchett and it lifts up both of its arms and just slams them onto the top of Pratchett's shell for a stomp attack. And that's going to do 18 damage on Torterra, normal damage. Okay. As he slams down on the Torterra, the Reggie Rock's abdomen glows green from where the leech seed hit it, and Torterra is going to get four HP back. Wonderful. The Reggie Steel is restrained. Try and save himself. Physical. 
with a 28 should do the trick. Oh, should do, yeah, will do the trick. He just lifts himself up and breaks free of the sandy chains, looking straight at Mako, and he's going to try and hit it with a flash cannon. So as the Reggie still stands up and breaks free of its chains, it fires off a massive beam of light. And it's the same beam of light you've seen cut through Pokemon and humans before. And it hits Mako almost in the face, but he manages to catch a little bit of it with his armoured skin, reducing the damage a little bit, but still taking 16 steel damage. And we're back round to Mako. Chuck shouts, all right, don't worry about it. Just brush that off. Let's try and trap it again. So another sand tomb. 19. Passes just. So 19 half, but then doubled. So 19. Mako tries again with um, this time trying to trap its arms from underneath it and chain them to the ground. But the Reggie Steel just, it takes one and takes two. Looks like it's struggling. And then just, we just see an explosion of sand just burst away from it. Pratchett's up. Similar to how the Reggie Steel attacked with its two hands and slamming down onto Torterra's shell. Pratchett shouts, don't take that, hit it back, hit it hard. Woodhammer. So one of Torterra's new moves, Woodhammer. We are going to try that out. So in a similar motion, Torterra is going to lean back using its tail for a bit of balance, putting its two hands, well, its two front legs up above its head and slam down into the Reggie Rock. Uh, So that's going to do 40 grass damage. Which is double to 80. Double to 80. Oh my god. <laughs> I will, however, take 20 of that myself in recoil. <laughs> Felix has got a massive kind of grin on his face seeing this power and seeing these two locked into battle here. He's going to dart up and just try and chip away and do any extra damage that he can. So Felix is going to sprint up to the Reggie Rock from behind and just two-handed, a big X-scissor type motion across the back of the Reggie Rock just to be like, hey, I'm here, don't forget about me. I'm gonna fuck you up. Cool. Mine's a 24 to hit. Hits. So I'll do 24 damage on mine. Chucky boy. Nice, yeah, Chuck's gonna try and a similar sort of thing, just slash the Reggie Steel right up the length of the back of it. Natural 19, so that's gonna be a 26 to hit. Hits. 24 slashing damage the reggie rock having taken a hit a big hit from the front and then an annoying little slash but still (laughs) a painful one from behind sees that you're both close and he's gonna go for a bulldoze (sighs) shit so i need you both to make evasion checks 24 for pratchett (laughs) bit of a waste but i nat 20 that one oh wow okay so nat 20 you just negate all damage and you just ride the ride the waves pratchett's going to take a little bit of damage but he's avoided the majority of the bulldozer as the reggie rock he just this time he lifts up a leg and just stomps on the floor and the whole battlement shakes not quite as violently as an earthquake would shake it but you see the ripples of the stones just fly out and Felix you just hold firm you've seen enough bulldozers in your time you just dig your sword into the ground and just stand there and ride it out Pratchett he's too close and he can't he just feels as a couple of the shards of rocks just sort of hit him but he's still raring to go for battle 19 damage halved halved again to four because of resistances and then you need to do 2d6 with the leech seed as well oh so i rolled a nine so it's going to take nine 18 damage and you'll take i'll get nine nine hp back the reggie steel also took two hits 
Mako's in front of the Reggie Steel, and its eyes are locked on Mako. It's the red pattern is just sort of flashing in different variations on its chest, <laughs> and its fist glows white as it just raises it high and then charges towards Mako and goes in for a metal claw, bringing it down hard in Mako's direction. Can Chuck have an attack of opportunity considering he's leaving my melee range? You can. 19 to hit, 39. Does not hit. Damn, swing and a miss. So Chuck just, yeah, like lunges forwards, but isn't quick enough to react. 15 steel damage with the metal claw. And yeah, the claw just comes down, almost knocks Mako to one knee as he fights the pressure of this steel claw hitting him. Raises his fins above his head to try and block the blow, but he's still taking loads of damage. Holding it back and they just like see a slash come across his face, angering him visibly. (laughs) And he thinks, I'm not going to let this fly in my kitchen. And Chuck shouts out to him. All right, Mako hit him back with a dual chop. So Mako just takes the slash across the face and then responds in kind, aiming for the knees of the Registeel. I, I guess it's kind of like knees. Run to buckle it. 33 dragon damage. It's going to be halved to 16. It's going to be halved. Mako, using his movement speed afterwards, is going to tuck round the Registeel and place himself in between Registeel and Chuck to make sure that Chuck is covered. Okay. Pratchett takes this bulldoze. As, as I said at the beginning, he's kind of dug his feet in a little bit. He's not particularly mobile so he was able to ride the waves a little bit and and negate most of the damage Felix is just in awe of the power seeing that one hit that the woodhammer did and seeing some further cracks in the body start to appear Felix isn't thinking too much he's just a little bit hyped up really after seeing this he's like yes that's it Pratchett hit it again hit it big woodhammer it's not going to be as much as last time. He's not quite got his feet as planted after the bulldoze that came its way. He's knocked him off a little bit. So he still managed to get up and get in and hit into the belly pretty hard. 29, double to 58. And what Felix is going to do is similar to his move previous. Try and keep the red still guessing and kind of hitting in the, the same direction. What I want to do is run up some of the rubble that's been caused by the bulldozer. I know it's in, um, it'll be difficult to rain, won't it? So I kind of want to use it as little rocks to, to run up and spring off. I want to attack, it'll probably have to be one-handed and, and slice the Reggie rock as I go, but I want to kind of either jump over it or round it. So then I land on the front of Pratchett's shell. Roll decks. Oh, oh that's probably not gonna happen. Eight. So, <laughs> as you so you run up the stones, but as you take the slash, you fall short. And although your attack might hit, you're gonna fall back behind the Reggie rock, almost like hitting it as you fall, like it was just like you completely misjumped. Okay. Don't think I'll hit with a sixteen. That will not hit. No. Okay. So it's more like a glancing blow. So you, you just fall short. So you, you take a run up up the stones and you go for a one arm slash, but you just haven't got the distance on you and you fall behind the Reggie rock. Am I on my feet or am I prone? I'd say just on one knee. Super on landed. Okay. Super landed. Cool. Chuck and Mako exchange looks and he says, "Trap it again with a sand tomb and I'll get in there and get the critical strike." The Chuck's going to run to the Registeel, but he's going to withhold his action to see if Mako can restrain the Registeel before unleashing it, unleashing the blow. Fine. Right, the Reggie Rock senses Felix land behind him and slowly turns. It's going to use a stone edge on Felix. Oh, fuck. 24 to hit. How much health do I have? Is it what I have? Yes. 35 rock damage. Ooh. 
You might want to find a bow and hide. So as Felix <laughs> lands, the Reggie Steel almost senses him land behind him. And actually, instead of turning round, he just stomps his foot down on the floor. Yeah. And as Felix lands with the miss of the swing, a stone just shoots out of the ground and just catches him straight in the chin Ooh. and just knocks him backwards about five feet, lying on his back. Right, okay. Felix is a weak boy as well. <laughs> he needs some moo milk. He needs some big moo milk. Reggie Steele puts its hands by its side and you just see the red eyes glow and targeting Chuck it's going to let off a flash cannon that just flies through the air and it just catches Chuck in the side enough for him to not break his readying action but at the same time wincing with pain as this beam of light that you've seen cut through people before hits your armour deflects itself off but you can feel that it's like it was like you've been hot. punched by a brick yeah. and it's just burning hot 24 steel damage background to mako background to mako right mako come on let's unleash that sand zoom so please make a get register steel to make a physical check 20 fuck passes 25 grand damage and chuck seeing this is when he unleashes his attack yep he's not going to get the advantage though which is what i was hoping for it was a natty one. Oh no fuck Swing and a miss. Chuck not getting as much of the um, warrior instinct that Felix no, has got. Maybe it's the healer within him rather than the warrior that might be within Felix. Potentially. <laughs> yeah, potentially. And Pratchett is up. Felix lands after this punishing blow from the stone edge, smacked him straight in the mouth, and Felix just kind of wipes his brow, spits out to the side. The metallic taste as his mouth kind of fills with blood after taking this big hit to the face. Realises that he needs to not be as close into the Reggie Rock because he can't take as many hits as what Pratchett can. Felix shouts to Pratchett, Pratchett, steal its life force. Heal yourself up. Mega drain. So that'll be 20 grass damage. Double to, so double to 40. Pratchett gets 20 back. So two of his spines on the side of his shell fly out and hit straight into the Reggie Rock. And you just see like a green glow coming out of the tendrils on the back of it. And you see Pratchett's tree flourishes back up almost to, to full. Felix is going to channel his inner warrior and be a bit of a, a bit of a coward and disengage from this battle. Knowing Pratchett's, you know, got this and got the attention of the Reggie Rock, so he's going to use this opportunity to disengage from the battle and then investigate his surroundings to see if there are any other tools that he can use potentially in this fight to help out. Okay, roll perception. So sixteen. Okay, so what specifically are you looking for? ranged weapon so I don't have to be quite as up close with the Reggie Rock because after that hit from the Stone Edge Felix can't take many more of those so if he's just up there with his sword he's very likely to go down okay so with the 16 you see that there is a bow and a quiver with a few arrows in it under a large rock of which the bottom of is covered in blood okay and as you get closer to the bow you see a hand wrapped around the bow's handle oh okay dark very dark turns felix's stomach seeing that and knowing that one of his comrades has fallen but if they're going to win this war needs must so felix will grab the bow and quiver have i found a long bow or a short bow uh short bow okay chuck 
Chuck's sensing that the uh, his sword is not really doing overly much against the Reggie Steel, but that's kind of all he's got in his arsenal, so he's going to go in with another slash attack. Okay. And that's a 23. No, it's not. It's a dirty 20. That hits. I'm going to use all two hands. 22 damage. So just with two hands, just he just slashes right across the body of it. Reggie Rock is getting fed up of these fucking wood hammers and shit. <laughs> I bet he is. <laughs> the Reggie Rock just slams his hands into the brickwork of the battlement and picks up a giant rock. And then he just point blank throws it in Pratchett's face, just trying <laughs> to get Pratchett out of the way and a little bit backwards so he doesn't have to take another wood hammer. Okay. 20 rock damage. Halved to 10. So as the Reggie throws this rock in Pratchett's face, it's almost doubles over as its abdomen glows once more and you can just it can feel the energy getting sapped out of it the Reggie steel has been whacked whacked <laughs> bullied and it turns around to chuck who just hit it and we're gonna go for a metal claw Ooh, but that is only a 13 yes so how does chuck deflect the metal claw chuck sees the telegraphed claw swipe coming straight through eye level head level and just rolls his shoulder underneath, almost like feel it in slow motion as he just looks at the claw above it. As the claw hits the ground and cracks the stone battlement beneath it. And Chuck just shouts to Mako, now! And another wave of sand just comes flying towards it, the Registeel. So again, like this time, this sort of wave of sand just goes over the Registeel, like yanking it backwards. And it looks like it's about to topple over, but it just like plants its one foot behind and just and steadies itself and it's wrestling with Mako. It's another 25 ground damage. So Pratchett is still dug in, still pretty up close and personal with the Reggie Rock, but seeing some of these big hits go in, seeing now there's sort of little cracks in the rock and little divots where, you know, the wood hammer's gone, where the tendrils have gone. Felix thinks this is the time to hit it with Pratchett's most practiced move, seeing the opportunities and hopefully being able to blow a bit more of a crater out of the belly of this. Reggie Rock, Felix shouts out to Pratchett, I want to see one of these, buddy. Give it all you've got. Hit it with an energy ball. Pratchett starts to suck in the energy from around it to try and create a massive energy ball, but not quite being used to his size yet. He's not able to form it solidly. It's a bit gaseous and a bit all over the place. And as he fires it off, it just disperses around the Reggie Rock rather than hitting and doing any damage. Felix sinks his head a little bit and goes, oh, don't worry, buddy. I know you still got this but he's going to just try and help out and channeling his inner warrior and his elder spirit. He's going to shout out to the Reggie Rock and goes, hey, why don't you pick on someone your own size? And he's going to fire an arrow at the Reggie Rock. Dirty 20 to hit. Hits. 21 piercing damage. Oh, nice. Felix lets loose the arrow from his bow. It just manages to find a little crack in the joint between the Reggie Rock's arm and its body, and the arrow just sticks in that gap. So the Reggie Steel is struggling against Mako, but he's, he looks like he's still pretty firmly planted. Chuck's going to try and slide under, like Felix did, slide underneath between its legs, blade above his head, and then he'll disengage as a bonus action and get behind Mako. Okay. So, once I hit, that's a no, 18. 
than hit. It will is not it? hit. So as you slide under, you strike the Reggie steel almost between the legs, and instead of a male genitalia, it's just a pure bit <laughs> of steel, and the sword just bounces off as you slide under to disengage. Yeah, I don't get a firm grip, but then I uh, yeah I move behind Mako. Cool, Reggie Rock stops the energy ball. It raises both of its arms. It's just going to stomp them into Torterra's shell, trying to catch him straight in the face, bringing them down hard. And as you hear the slam of the Reggie Rock plowing into Torterra, the Reggie Steel lifts its arms up and it punches the ground and it's going to go for a bulldoze to hit both Ooh. Chuck and Mako. So we need evasion checks, please. Chuck rolled a 15, so 18. Mako only rolled an 8, so that's a 14. Okay, so Chuck just passes. We'll take half. Mako's going to take the full whack. As it brings its arms down to the ground for the bulldoze, the ground of the stony floor of the basement ripples out, but both Mako and Chuck, who's just a little bit further away, are almost knocked over and uh, take a good amount of damage. Right, Mako's up. Yeah, and he's panting. He's not looking uh, not looking good. I, I hate just repeating the same move, but it's our best move against it. We're going to go with another sand tomb. So Chuck just shouts to him and says, full force now, come on. That's a 12. Yes. So Chuck's words have the desired effect. And this time, a massive wave of sand just engulfs the Registeel, which knocks it off its feet. 20, 23 grand damage, double. 246. Yeah, so now there's just a, a mound of sand that's just constantly pinning the Registeel down onto the floor. Pratchett. So Felix shouts out to Pratchett, put it off balance, use an earthquake, make life difficult for it. So I need you to do a physical save. 30-20. So you save. So you take half of this um, and you won't be knocked prone. 29 ground damage. It's not doubled, but... But it's enough to KO the Reggie Rock. Oh, yes. Sick. Pratchett is such a don. Similar to how he has been with the wood hammers, he rears back onto his back two legs, but rather than hitting straight at the Reggie Rock, he just slams into the ground at its feet and you feel the whole... 20 feet around it just start to shake you just start to see cracks appear coming up the legs of the reggie rock going up its body and little bits just starting to fall off more bits fall off the arrow in his arm sort of helps to disjoin that from its body and then you just see the reggie rock let out a <laughs> as it falls backwards flat on its back felix seeing this kind of sprints over to pratchett grabs the two big horns on the side of his head and just puts his head on his and goes that was incredible I never knew you'd be so powerful, but we've still got work to do. Come on, let's help out Chuck. So I'm just gonna spin Pratchett round and use as much mind movement as I can to get as close as possible. So I guess yep. I've got 30 feet of, plus about 20 feet, so I'm only gonna get about 10 foot closer to the Registeel. So Felix will just kind of Hawkeye-esque, just run and slide, and as he's sliding, try and take an arrow out and just ping it into the, I mean, it might just bounce off because it's a Registeel hide, but go for it that will probably hit with a natural 17 to take it up to a 24 so yeah as i say hawkeye style sliding across the floor takes an arrow out of his quiver puts it in his bow and again after getting his iron on the reggie rock just manages to get in between the arm and the body of the registeel one of the only open gaps on the registeel their armor is weak by their neck and under their arm 25 damage 25 piercing damage 
Chuck sees the register kind of stagger a little bit, struggling under the weight of the sand, and thinks, let's finish this. And he charges two hands, charging straight, the blade pointing forwards. He's aiming right into the small of the Registeel's spine. 25 to hit. That will hit. 22. Cool. Oh, it doesn't kill it. Damn. The Registeel, now taking hits from all over, slams its hands into the ground again. We're going to go for another bulldoze. So if you've got disadvantage... Um, then you get advantage on your checks. I'll roll for me first. Oh, five and a three, so that's going to fail. And for Mako, natural 20. Okay, so Mako takes no damage whatsoever. Nice. Uh, and Chuck, you take 21 ground damage. Ouch. So Chuck and Mako are both like surfing the waves. Mako manages to surf it a lot better than him being a ground type. But Chuck stumbles to his feet, grazing himself on the floor and then kind of another shockwave and aftershock just ripples and catches him, like bouncing him up in the air. He staggers to his feet and shouts, Mako, crush it! So Registeel didn't try and attempt to get out of his restraint, so no, Mako no, can just auto hit. <laughs> so that's 50 ground damage. Takes it. Oh, for fuck's sake, he's gonna steal my fucking kill. <laughs> Listen to him. Just do my fucking kill. He's gotta get there first. Torterra's got 30 foot walking, but it's not going to be particularly fast rather than getting up close and personal we are going to try and hit it with another energy ball keep it distracted as much as possible so chuck and mako can do the real damage from the front 22 grass damage which is half to 11 so this time pratchett is able to gather up some light and some energy and fire off a good sized energy ball at the registeel's back but whilst it does do a little bit of damage if anything it just polishes the back of the registeel so it softens it up a little bit but it makes it look nice and shiny felix is just going to follow that up and ping off another arrow straight at the same area that we've just aimed at with the energy ball remember to roll with advantage roll with that's good because i just rolled a natural five <laughs> and then i rolled a natural one <laughs> so five uh, a 12 will be best yeah, the arrow, the, although you hit well last turn, the arrow just pings over the top of the Reggie Steel. You're just not used to moving with the bow quite yet. Chuck has still basically got, the sword has started to penetrate into the back of the Reggie Steel. So he's just trying to drive it in and uh, give it a twist. So 24 to hit. Hits. 24 slashing damage. And as you dig it deep inside the Reggie Steel's body, the red flashing eyes start to flicker and flicker and then they just fade and the Reggie Steel stops moving and just lays flat on the ground. Chuck just like lets out a roar and just like pulls the blade away which is covered in like some weird black things. So, you're each going to receive 21,700 XP. Cool, yeah, so with that Mako Gabai levels up. Uh, he's got a new feet that's just made him uh, a bit chonky. Chonky? The tough feet. Sweet. And yeah, obviously Pratchett evolved in that fight, so he's leveled up during that as well. Our heroes may have overcome their first challenge, but the battle rages on around them. Will they hold off the Reggie's attack before the heroes of old have completed their quest? Or will they be consumed by the forces of Arceus? Episode 56, A Tale of Fire and Ice and ground drops in two weeks on april 19th so if you haven't already make sure you've subscribed so you don't miss a thing you can also leave us a review and rating on apple Podcasts and spotify so if you could take the time we'd be forever grateful and it really does help us push the pod 
While you're subscribing and reviewing, you can also join us on Discord to talk to Jack, Chris and myself as well as lots of other fans of the pod about all things Pokemon and MDAD related. Just follow the link in the episode description. As always, thanks to Chris for sorting out the music and thanks to you for listening. Right, that's enough from me. See you next time.